You are listening to the Missouri Audio Project. I am Yulia Shakis, and today I'm talking to Lisa Safran. Lisa, you are a public health professional, and you're a writer, you're a novelist, an essayist. Tell me about the sort of work you've been doing and the thinking you've been doing about the intersections between public health and storytelling. I am the director of a graduate program in public health at the University of Missouri, a master of public health. We have about 250 students. One of the things that people trained on the graduate level in public health do is translate scientific evidence, so evidence about what works, what causes disease, what causes injury, what works to prevent it, into public policy. What do we do about it? And I noticed that one of the things my students were not doing was telling the stories that they knew about how these issues affect people in their real lives. So when they try to convince legislators to pass bills, for example, they go armed with stacks of data and rarely the kind of profound, impactful stories that would make that data come alive. So what I'm doing is I work in narrative and public health, so story, looking at storytelling in public health, how it works, how to do it better. And then I'm also teaching students how to tell stories around public health issues, how to tell their own stories, how to tell other people's stories, how to think about stories and tell them well. I had one student who wanted to talk about what was the impact of not having a national standard for sexuality education in the schools. What's the impact on real people's lives? And that's in this country. In this country. So states pretty much get to decide what their sexuality education programs look like. And they're really, really, really different. And so she began her story with an anecdote from her own sexuality education program in high school about one of her teachers took some duct tape and applied it to her own arm and then had the girls, all girls, pass the duct tape around. And by the end of the session, the duct tape didn't stick because it was full of all this debris. And basically, that was the teacher's metaphor for a girl who engages in sexual activity before marriage. And that constituted the bulk of her sexuality education. And then she went on and compared that to sex ed that other people had gotten and the experiences of LGBT youth in sex ed programs around the country. And so she was really able to highlight something that was important to her, which was that we don't have a national standard. And then the lack of a national standard has really big impacts on individuals and on communities. And she did that through personal stories. I have another student who's an Argentinian who was very interested in the fact that during her study of public, how public health and health access works in this country since she'd been here, she had learned that among immigrant families who don't speak English, it's very common for children who learn English faster than their parents to be put in the position in a healthcare situation of being a language broker. So her story began also with an anecdote, not about herself, but about a a, a real girl that she found through her research, who at 12 was called out of class to the hospital to tell her own father that he'd had a heart attack because no one was able to translate that for him at the hospital. And so again, this student began with that story to explore the wider phenomenon of language brokering and what the impacts are on individual families and communities and healthcare. 
there were a bunch of other stories as well, but these are just two examples of the kinds of things that are really happening, are really supported by the data, that really matter, and that these students were able to illustrate more effectively because they became storytellers. Yeah, so one of the things I talk a lot about in my classes when I teach essay writing is the importance of the big and the small, mm-hmm. right? So what, how, do you, how do you take something very, very small and look at it really closely and then think about it in such a way that it tells you something about the world, the universe, about life and death that is universal in some way? And it sounds like that's something that you're succeeding in communicating to your students, starting with the small and then going out to big policy questions. One of the things that can be confusing to people is that public health deals with populations, with communities, with groups. So you don't have individual patients. Your patient is the community. But of course, communities are made up of individuals. And so I often talk to my students about how you motivate people to care about issues that affect communities. You do it in the same way you motivate people to care about universal stories by beginning with an individual story by beginning with an example that then your reader or your audience can universalize, not just to other people, but to themselves, so they can recognize themselves somehow in the story. But yeah, moving back and forth from the group to the individual to the group is a really, really important skill in public health. The first place I begin with the students on their path to become storytellers is to reconnect them with why they care. What kind of examples and stories do they remember brought them into the work? And just by beginning to kind of move away from the abstraction into the concrete, it begins you on the process of thinking how you will convey that to other people. So we talk a lot about identifying the broader issue, but identifying within it examples of human beings, individuals, situations that illustrate a broader issue. And when you talk about that, then then it becomes really, you begin to engage with questions that memoirists engage with, which is what's the truth of the story? How mm. is it a true story? And for public health storytelling, truth in a lot of cases has to do with how representative is this story? Are you choosing a story that really, however compelling and powerful an individual does represent something real about what is happening in the world. So not just because it's unusual, but because it's representative. And so how to think about issues of truth. In public health, you're often talking about marginalized populations, and it's people in positions of government power, NGO power, telling stories about others. So we talk a lot about the ethical issues. Yeah, because in some way you also are in a position of speaking for others as well. Exactly. And so again, you know, one of the things, the processes that I take my students through is you're always related to the story in some way. So one of the comforts of data can be sometimes that you don't have a, a relationship to it. You can talk about the data but not find yourself in the data. It's, other, it's data relating to other people. But when you start telling stories, you have to find your relationship to the data and to the people the data represents. So let's talk about, we're going to listen to a story that you produced, and you had a conversation with Dr. Azim Mariel Kakar, who is from Afghanistan. Tell me about Azim. So Azim came here to Missouri 
as a Fulbright scholar. He is a doctor. A lot of our students have a clinical background. And a lot of students like Azim go into public health because they become frustrated with dealing with individual cases and treating illness and treating disease and treating injury and really want to work on prevention. And so that's what Azim came to do here. And so he's here for two years in mid-Missouri with Missourians and people from all over the country and people from all over the world. And the piece is called The Pawn. Mm-hmm. Why is it called The Pawn? I know of Azim as, a, as an individual, not just a doctor. There are reasons why he wants to do this work. When we were talking about his own story, he brought up the fact that he likes to play chess. And when he spoke about chess, his eyes lit up and he sat up straighter in his chair and clearly it was a source of passion for him. When people sit up and their eyes light up and they seem excited, it's important to pay attention. Lisa Zafrin, thank you. Thank you. Let's hear the pawn. I'm Lisa Safran, and I direct the Master of Public Health program at the University of Missouri. Public health is global health, even in a Midwestern college town. Students from places like Nigeria, Haiti, Mongolia, Botswana, Indonesia, China, Russia, and Niger have come to study public health in Missouri. One of them is Azim. My name is Azim Marial Kakar. I'm from Afghanistan. In 1994, when Azim was just 10 years old, his mother, father, four brothers, and two sisters fled to Pakistan. Life in Pakistan was very hard. When we were kids and we were refugees, we didn't have the opportunity to go to playgrounds. Azim's father is a doctor. He didn't have to sell stuff on the street like the kids in the camps. Life was even harder in Afghanistan. People in that time, during the Taliban, they were very fearful. They were feeling themselves to be in prison. Azim and his dad returned to Afghanistan in 2002 after the Taliban fell. He took a break from his studies to help with the national election process. There was need for educated people. I could understand English. I could speak English. And that's why I was a national logistic officer for the Helmand province. Men and women came out to vote in droves. It was exciting. And Azim liked his position in administration. Still, there was something else he longed to do. My father encouraged me, and he told me that if you want to help your countrymen, you have to be a a physician. As a doctor, Azim sees firsthand that there are a lot of powerful influences on health that aren't part of the medical school curriculum. I asked him if he had a magic wand and could change one thing in his country overnight, what would it be? He answered right away. I would uh, change the autonomy of women through education. Azim is not just a guy who thinks deeply about how to make people's lives better, though he is certainly that. He's not just a doctor or a student. He's also a husband and a father. What are you interested in besides improving the status of your country? (laughs) I'm married, I have a wife, and uh, I have a son, 10 months. Azim is also good company. I'm quite artistic, and I love painting. I love to play chess. I asked Azim whether there was anything in the game of chess that might resonate with his own life and with his work. He says there is, and it has to do with what he calls the struggle of the pawn. The struggle of the pawn, when it moves ahead, 
he did not have the opportunity to come back. Azim didn't see going backward as an alternative either. He found himself becoming frustrated with trying to treat preventable illnesses. He didn't want to just give people medicine or deal with tragedies when people couldn't get the medicine they needed. He wanted to prevent people from getting sick in the first place. Once I was visiting a family, it was almost 25 kilometers far from Kandahar city. They said that they have lost two young adults. One was almost 13, the other one was 11. They suffer from diarrhea in the night, and there was no transportation system in the province. There was also fear that if they want to take their patient to the hospital, maybe they will be threatened by the Taliban, or maybe some uh, Afghan police will think that they are Taliban and they will fire. They were dehydrated, and that's why they lost their lives. Going forward meant traveling 8,000 miles away from home to a college town in the center of Missouri. Let's find the main reason why people are suffering from infectious diseases. Is it poverty? Is it inequality? Is it lack of attention of government? Remember those two kids who died because they couldn't get to the hospital? Well, there were other things that went wrong that night. The kid's grandmother, who was taking care of them, didn't understand that people with diarrhea need to stay hydrated. She believed it might help if she stopped giving them food and water. It's one thing to know what causes diseases and how to cure them, but finding strategies that will work in Afghanistan is a different story. So that's why I'm here. I'm doing my master's degree program in public health, focusing on health promotion and policy. Columbia, Missouri is a long way from Afghanistan. It's a long way from Azim's wife and his baby son. But here's the thing about chess. When the pawn finally reaches the other side of the board, it can turn around and go back. And when it does, it's a rook or a knight or even a queen. It's not a pawn any longer. For the Missouri Audio Project, this is Lisa Safran. An MAP production based in Columbia, Missouri, supported by KBIA.